Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today on the show, it's our wedding days. But here we are, ignoring our fiancés entirely to record yet another fucking episode of Gom Jabbar. Dune, baby! Yeah. Cardo Kynes gets it. He understands. Yeah, he gets it. He gets it. Welcome to Gom Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe. From Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV... And today, again, comic books. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And today we're talking about <laughs> House Atreides, issues seven and eight. Yeah. And right at the top here, uh, I am going to try not to be too negative because that's not super fun unless I get like fun and credulous. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much. Yeah. Positive vibes only is the theme of today's episode. <laughs> what? We're going to fail immediately. We're going to try our we're best. We're going to fail immediately. <laughs> Negative vibes. I think we are failing as we are trying to explain. This intro theme. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's been a while since we have revisited this comic book series, but a few months ago, we started reading Dune House Atreides, which is a prequel comic book series written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. Right. It's actually based off of a book of the same name. And has been adapted to the comic book medium. And I'm personally a big comic book reader, so I always love to see my favorite series and worlds adapted to new mediums. So we figured we would check this series out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are now eight issues into this 12-issue run. Yeah. We have covered the first six of them, one through six. And the goal today is to cover issues seven and eight. Yeah. And this is a spoiler episode. Yes. For, of course, this comic series and the larger Dune franchise. So let's get into it. Let's talk about issues seven and eight. Uh, let's start on a positive note. Yeah. Positive vibes only. Man. Cover. Cover art. Spectacular. Illustrations. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And... This is thanks to artist Evan Cagle and variant covers by Cagle and Jeff DeCall, which is how I think you say those names. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Y'all are great. Really. The art is like one of the redeeming qualities of this series. Yeah. And if anything, I at times felt sympathy for these really clearly skilled artists because it's uh, anyway, it's interesting. What an interesting <laughs> series this is. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I agree 100%. I think I've voiced this on previous House of Trades episodes we've done. The art in this series is spectacular, and the credit really goes to the illustrators and the artists right. who are bringing this story to life. Whether or not the story uh, 
deserves to put be it, brought to put life. It back. Okay, let's jump right in. Positive <laughs> yeah. vibes only. Positive vibes only. Yeah, right. Positive vibes. <laughs> the issue opens. Issue seven opens on Arrakis with planetologist and DILF, uh, which, for those of you who don't know, stands for Dad, I'd like to yep. follow into his dreams of a green Arrakis. Definitely. Pardo Kynes. <laughs> there he is. Handsome lad. Yep. He, this is, he's soon to be married. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tonight. It's happening. Tonight. It's happening. <laughs> he's not interested in it. No. But we have to catch up a bit. And these first panels do this. It catches us up. What has happened? Uh, well, we don't know how much time has passed. <laughs> don't tell us. Some amount of time. Right. The amount of time necessary for him to convince a woman to marry him <laughs> is the amount of time that has passed. Since that assassin, like, threw himself onto his own knife, uh, rather than kind of mess up his hair, <laughs> the Fremen are like, this guy's probably a prophet. Yeah. I mean, look at him. Right. And also, uh, that guy stabbed himself. That's crazy. Probably some form of messiah, probably some prophet. And God, let's depart from positive vibes for a second. Right. Veering off into negative vibes for just just a hair. Just a hair. <laughs> just immediately. Just immediate left turn on this long road trip. Just as a side note, this is so heavily parallel to Paul's journey on Dune. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We don't know, really, how Pardo Kynes came to join the Fremen. But, but making it exactly the same as Paul or making it so similar to Paul just cheapens the Fremen. Yeah. Because here they are, two for two, just every handsome off-worlder. They're like, uh, he's a prophet? <laughs> Is, Must be a prophet. Look at that hair. Gotta be a prophet. <laughs> uh. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Uh, we joke, but on a serious note, yes, totally. Like, this cheapens the Fremen. And also, like, what an original idea. <laughs> Pardo Kynes did the same thing that Paul Atreides will later do in the books. Like, this is incredibly boring and lazy writing. The idea that Kynes is now some sort of prophet among the Fremen. But he is, because in these pages, they are now calling him Uma Kynes. He's been given that title. Right. And Uma Kynes, in this opening couple of pages for issue seven, will be marrying Stilgar's sister, Fraith, who we met. I believe, an issue or two ago. She tried to bring him some spiced coffee, and he totally ignored her. So I wonder how that courtship <laughs> yeah, went. It doesn't sound like a healthy relationship. <laughs> yeah. Now, we also get in these pages this inexplicable sort of line from Nabe Hanar where he says that marrying a Fremen woman is what now will make Pardo Kynes a Fremen. It's how he will, quote-unquote, become Fremen. Right. <laughs> and... Nabe Hanar, this is this is shocking, also offers to Kynes to retire and take his spot. He's like, yo, you want to be Nabe? I'll give it up. Yeah. Kynes, <laughs> go ahead and be Nabe. Yeah. We talked about in a recent book club episode, if you have been keeping up with those, how Fremen leadership has traditionally transitioned. Yeah. From person to person. Kind of a basic detail. <laughs> Fremen culture. Giving it up yeah. to a white guy off-worlder who just showed up an unknown <laughs> amount of time ago and married one of your women yeah. is fucking the opposite of how transitions of power happen in Fremen culture. Has never ridden a worm. Doesn't know that they ride worms. It's frankly insulting. And he's like, you want to be a Nabe? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Nabe Hanar's like, yo, you want to be a Nabe? You're marrying this Fremen woman, which now officially makes you a Fremen. None of that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And 
Kynes is like, no, 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 dude, I don't want to be Nabe. I'm just here to, like, set up weather satellites. I don't even love Freight. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't even know what her last name is. I love you, Freight. That's not Freight. Oh, shit. Uh, where's Freight? Freight, raise your hand. I don't know what you look like. Will the real Freight Stilgar please stand up? Oh, man. We have veered so hard into negative vibes. Okay, positive vibes, positive vibes. These panels are literal art. Gorgeous. They're so beautiful. Like, it breaks down the very traditional sort of panel by panel. There's these lovely tableaus of just the sky is open. and Yeah. It's just gorgeous. And almost distracted me from the fact that it seems like all of Fremen culture is being misrepresented here. But Yeah. Well, one thing that I thought was actually consistent and made sense. Sure. One of the few things in this story that continue to make sense the the wedding ceremony yeah i thought was gorgeous and represented fairly well there's a lot of dancing in the moonlight and as part of their vows in one of the panels it looks like they take a little shot of spice yeah which seemingly on brand for the fremen considering how central spice is to their culture right now after that spice after the shot of spice and uh some grasping of hands kinds is just so in his own head in just the worst way. The entire time. The entire time. He's like, oh, fascinating. Look at their culture go. And then he ends his, hopefully like one of the highlights of his life, right? This is his wedding day. Right. He has this thought, quote, yes, I must fit in among them. I have so many plans for Arrakis, end quote. Jesus Christ. This is the embodiment of that meme where it's like, he must be thinking about other girls. Kynes <laughs> is like, this planet's going to be so fucking green. <laughs> he must be thinking about other planets. <laughs> so true. The disconnect here is so weird. This should be one of the highlights of his life, as you have said. He is marrying Fraith. We know nothing about their love or their relationship at all, and we learn nothing from these or pages. Her. Or her, frankly. She is an accessory. <laughs> Literally an accessory. And then on top of that, the dialogue that we are supposed to read in all of this and understand is just Kynes <laughs> being horny for a rackets. <laughs> yeah. And like just focusing on his work. It's so inexplicable and so disconnected from the emotion and frankly the beauty of the art on the page. Yeah. Yeah. That it just like it breaks the whole scene. You're reading this and you're like, what the fuck am I reading? <laughs> I, I really do imagine like... Brian oversees this art and goes, no, no, you got to make it way less pretty. <laughs> Bring, <laughs> it's way too pretty now for, for what, you know, the story's happening because that's, you're totally right. There is that disconnect. Yeah. Well, to wrap up this first opening scene, yeah, we do want to just take a moment to shout out Fraith. This is a tough look for her. Yeah. She is marrying one of the most beautiful men <laughs> in the Imperium and he couldn't give two shits Ugh. about anything but his damn weather satellites. Tough look for Fraith. She deserves better. Give Fraith her own spinoff series. Yeah. And a new husband. And a new husband. Get her out of this marriage. <laughs> okay, the next scene jumps to Giddy Prime. Yeah. And gosh, before we even get into any of this. Oh. In all we we've been jokey and True. Yeah. rambunctious at the start of this podcast but yeah in all seriousness just to kind of bring things down a bit we need to throw in a content warning here a trigger warning yeah what happens in this scene on giddy prime includes 
frankly, a very violent act of sexual assault and sexual violence. And if that's something that you are uncomfortable with or is triggering for you, please skip ahead. Obviously, Leo, you and I will do our best to be respectful during this. Of course. But it's just, it's included in the story and we have to talk about it and we will do our best to be delicate around the topic. But just know that this scene involves some sexual violence that might not be appropriate for everyone. So to get through it, basically, and this is a plot point that I'd actually heard talked about, but seeing it really is different. Guys, Helen Moheim is back on Giddy Prime to basically get Baron's quote-unquote assistance again. She needs uh, to have a new child because the Bene Gesserit didn't much care for the first one. This time, uh, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen and Piter DeVry University have a plan. They know she's coming back. They've prepared themselves. Before she arrives, before she's arrived at his chambers, Piter gives Baron Harkonnen a pair of earplugs that, and this is insane. This is ridiculous. Distort the effects of the voice. Yeah. Is the exact wording. That, what? Right. And we find out that House Harkonnen, you know, the, the Bene Gesserit had all this leverage, this evidence against House Harkonnen that they could then present to the emperor. We find out that House Harkonnen is basically just deleted all of their records and moved their hidden spice stores. As easy as that. Yeah, easy. Like when I used to delete my browsing history as a teenager. <laughs> exactly like that. On the family computer, just like that. They got a single U-Haul truck. And they put all of their spice in it, and they just moved it. Right. Easy. Mm-hmm. All of this is to say the Bene Gesserit now no longer have leverage over House Harkonnen, yep. is what we're told. So the Baron allows Moheim back into his messy, messy room, as was well established a few issues ago. Right. And this time, the scene plays out quite differently. He's playing hard to get, and she, at this point, frustrated at wit's end tries to use the voice to just make him submit right which is problematic in its own way and she's caught off guard because of these fancy uh bose earplugs that my guy is wearing that apparently block the voice voice canceling yeah like literal voice canceling earplugs that he's wearing the voice doesn't affect him and at this point, he signals Piter, who's been hiding off to the side. Fascinating. And Piter hits Moheim with, quote, an old-fashioned neural scrambler. Which is like a gun. It's like a ray gun. Yeah, some sort of <laughs> ray gun thing. And this basically leaves her unable to move. She's still conscious and awake. Right. But her body is now paralyzed and she cannot move. Right. And again, if you have listened thus far... One more time, just a content warning, this is where the sexual assault takes place. So feel free to skip ahead if that's something you're not comfortable with. Now, he claimed that the procreation act with women disgusts him. Right. But that clearly doesn't really apply in this situation because although the Bene Gesserit have no leverage over him, they have no way to force him to do this, he decides that he's going to take Moheim by force giving her effectively what she wanted to get from this whole scenario, but just in the most evil way possible. Yeah. You know, it's it's evil, it's disgusting, it makes no sense, and we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. During the violent act, 
Um, now, in addition to conceiving a child, which, of course, Moheim is guaranteeing with her metabolic control, she also delivers to his system a virulent pathogen mm. that we learn all Reverend Mothers, apparently, just have in their bodies. Uh, they are dormant, like they're deactivated kind of by that metabolic control. Right. But she's going to deliver it through that act to him so that he then has this. And that's going to be punishment for, you know, thinking that he's above Bene Gesserit control, basically. Right. And this pathogen will apparently make him ugly and fat. Yeah. Which is apparently something we needed an explanation for. Yeah. You can't just have different body types in Dune. You, yeah. You have to have terrible diseases delivered through forced, violent sexual acts. Mm-hmm. Right. Weird, awful scene all around. We don't want to harp too much on this scene, but a couple of things to point out. We already talked about those Bose voice-canceling earplugs. Right. Just to revisit that idea for a second. In Yeah, what the fuck are they? What are they? What are they? Where did these come from? In in the actual book Dune. Ever heard of it? In the literal book <laughs> Dune by Frank Herbert. Ever heard of it? Yeah. The Baron. Same guy. The same guy. Remember, same guy who just same used guy. these earplugs. He captures Jessica at the start of the book. Right. Uses a deaf guard to escort her after the assault on Arakeen. And gagged her. And gagged her so she couldn't use the voice. He was afraid of the voice. Yeah. Where was Piter with these headphones? Piter was in the same room. Same guy. Same guy. <laughs> Where were these headphones? It's so awful. You'd think one of them would be like, fuck, I wish I had those headphones. (laughs) Right. It's like by that time, had the company gone, you know, had had their runway run dry? (laughs) Did they go under? Like Galactic Radio Shack got bankrupt. Exactly. Radio Shack went bankrupt. Can't get those Bose voice canceling headphones anymore. It's so inexplicable and dumb. And it just stands out to us, especially as people who are obviously obsessed with the Dune universe and know the lore quite well, I would say, after many hours of talking about it on this podcast. This just makes no sense and is honestly an awful thing to include. Yeah. It cheapens everything about the voice. It it cheapens the technology in the Dune universe. It cheapens future scenes that take place in the actual Dune book, considering this is a prequel. I hated it. This is also, you know, talking about this neural scrambler gun that incapacitated Moheim. Right. It's so weird. I mean, it's somewhat reminiscent of like the T-probe or like the box of pain because it's that nerve induction or maybe it's breaking up the connection that the Reverend Mother might have with her body and controlling her body. But you have to think that there's something in six books by Frank Herbert or even the Dune Encyclopedia. Yeah. There's got to be some way to incapacitate someone that isn't inventing a new type of ray gun. Right. Plenty of ways already exist within the Dune universe. All you got to do is read the encyclopedia. Yeah. <laughs> Even just read Dune, Crimskull, <laughs> Shigawire. These are things that are used to incapacitate. And without getting too specific, there are scenes later in the Dune books where a Reverend Mother is incapacitated by Shigawire. This is primary Dune. Yeah. It, you just do that. I don't know. Yeah, it's wild. And, and look, like, does it sound like we're being super nitpicky? Yes, absolutely. It is difficult to write a prequel. Yeah, that's true. 
to such a large story with such deep world building and lore. Yeah. And yes, prequels always, to some extent, will be inconsistent. It happened with the Star Wars books and extended universe. I mean, one of the biggest questions I've always had as a kid was like, how has lightsaber technology never gotten better? In the <laughs> <Yeah>. thousands of <laughs> years Jedis have existed, they're still just using a stick yeah, with like a laser beam that comes out of it. Like, <laughs> yes, technology, especially in a science fiction universe, very hard to keep consistent, especially if you're writing a prequel. There are a lot of challenges. We do acknowledge that. Right. And yes, to some extent, we are being nitpicky. Like, okay, maybe the voice-canceling headphones just didn't show up in the novels because whatever, prequel inconsistency, yada, yada. The core issue that I think I have with these things beyond like, oh, this technology doesn't show up, is that it literally cheapens core things in the Dune universe. It cheapens the voice. It cheapens the Bene Gesserit. Like, would Mohai just be caught off guard with <laughs> Piter standing in a dark corner with a laser gun? Like... Oh, no, my weakness, someone behind the door. Right. Like, come on. Like, she is a reverend mother. She's one of the most powerful people in the universe. Yeah, we dedicated an entire episode to her. She's one of the most powerful people in the universe. It, it's just, it's not the technology that I personally have an issue with. I can excuse that just because prequel messiness sure, and timeline and lore world building messiness what I can't excuse, though, is that it cheapens other critical parts of the Dune universe by introducing these technologies. Yeah. No, you're 100% right. It is the cheapening of these themes and these characters and the abilities that we spend six books getting to know very well that is really the frustrating core of this. Absolutely. And, and speaking of cheapening of characters, actually, this assault, right? this sexual assault is just so unnecessary yeah I, I guess you could say like the baron loves being in a position of power and control yeah loves to subjugate people maybe it says something about his character but if anything i think it cheapens his character this is below the baron to stoop to something like this right he's much more cunning than this we talked about this a few issues ago yeah in the first standoff between the baron and moheim where he just kind of has no backup plan for any of this. It, he comes off as like a real major idiot in that scene. Right. And in this scene, he just sort of comes off as evil for evil's sake. Right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You know, like there doesn't seem to be any other reason for him to do this, especially considering, like you said, the Bene Gesserit no longer hold any sway over him. And this very comic series has established that the Baron is not sexually attracted to women. Right. He has no reason to do this other than petty revenge against Moheim for the first time she made him do it. It seems so entirely unnecessary. And to me, this feels like a moment where Brian asked himself, hey, the Baron needs to be evil. How do I make him more evil? Right, right. And then just idiotically decided a disgusting sexual assault scene was just cool and edgy and dramatic enough to achieve what he wanted to. It's just so stupid. Also, I mean, does this really line up with the dynamic that then Baron and Moheim have in Dune? Yeah. Where he's literally trembling, afraid of her. It just doesn't line up at all with, you're right, him as a character, not to be too Team Baron <laughs> here on Gom Jabbar. Yeah. But... He has subtlety and brilliance. Yeah. It's just a cheap caricature. 
Yeah. And uh, anyway, we should move on. So after the assault, Baron is like, don't ever demand anything of me again. Moheim leaves thinking to herself, yeah, I got you. Got you with the uh, disease. Yeah. Also, really quick side note, making it a disease that she gave him. There's a line in Dune where Baron is looking at Beast Raban going, yes, he's going to thicken up nicely in his older age. He'll also need suspensors. Right. It's something Baron almost has pride in, and it's something that Baron sees in Beast Raban and says, yeah, you're going to have it too, and that's good. Good for you, bud. Yep. Yep. And this completely contradicts that. Completely. And dare I remind our dear listeners, that's Dune by Frank Herbert. Right. Ugh. <laughs> I think it's kind of important to be in line with at least that book. At least that one, yeah. <laughs> at least that one, please. <sighs> anyway, positive vibes. Okay, positive vibes. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the next scene Yeah, where we are back on Kaladin. Yeah, beautiful. And we join young Duncan motherfucking Idaho <laughs> Yeah, as he walks up to the gates of the Atreides Palace on Kaladin. Yeah. And really, really wants to meet the Duke, Duke Paulus Atreides. Right. And the palace guards aren't so sure, like, who's this kid? Why are you here? What do you want? Yeah. But Duncan Idaho, being the badass that he is, even at this young age, is insistent. Right. And he won't give up, and he's tenacious, and he sits on that rock right. for, like, two days, seemingly, I think. <laughs> yeah. He, he sits in front of the gate, basically like, I'm not going to go till I meet the guy who runs the planet. Exactly. And they're like, okay, kid enjoy sitting there for multiple days right so imagine going to the white house lawn and planting yourself <laughs> demanding to see president joe biden right that's what's happening here somehow it works <laughs> basically on day two of him waiting outside one of the guards finally decides to ask more about him i guess he's like yeah you know what kid it's been 48 hours right uh, maybe i'll ask you some exposition right yep Who who are you what'd you do and duncan's like well, I came from the Harkonnen homeworld, and the guard's like, what? Say less, my guy. Let's get you in there. <laughs> that, that's that's literally it. That's it. Yeah. They're like, yeah, here's the undivided attention of Paulus and Leto Atreides. The grand meeting that I envisioned in my head. This is it. This is it. And it gets better, Leo. It gets grander. <laughs> Just you wait. Just you wait. Because... As he's in this audience chamber with Leto and Paulus, <laughs> yeah, his uh, plea to Paulus basically boils down to, "Hey, yo, my guy, <laughs> Paulus, I hate the Harkonnens, and I like you because you hate them too." Yeah, we're on the same page here. That is quite nearly a direct quote. Ruler of the planets, like, <laughs> word, <laughs> fuck yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, kid. Anyone hungry? Let's eat. <laughs> Let's eat. <laughs> it's so inexplicable. And the next panel, they're a they're having a meal. <laughs> this guy runs the planet, and he's like, "Kid from another planet, cool. Invite him to lunch. This is great." Oh my gosh, is mac and cheese good? Are you into mac and cheese? <laughs> a delicacy here on Caledonian Caledonian mac and cheese, famous <laughs> in the galaxy. So. So over this Caledonian mac and cheese, young Duck and Ido basically gives his very short life. He's like eight years old at this point. He gives his very short life story to Paulus. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I can't believe this. And 
Paulus drops, honestly, an absolutely unbelievable line. I'm like tearing up just trying to read. It's... I-, I need you to read it. I can't. Okay. <laughs> Turn my gain way down. <laughs> Any young man with balls as big as yours is a man I must have as part of my household. I'm Paulus <laughs> End direct quote. Direct quote. Oh my God. Such good writing. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. How did this not win every award? Uh, It almost reads as a parody. Yes. It starts almost seeming like this is like a meme YouTube video about Dune. Right, right. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, This shocked, reading this sentence coming out of the mouth of Duke Paulus Atreides shocked me to my core. And I, I simply cannot believe that a grown adult would unironically write dialogue like this for one of their characters. A grown adult who has written many books <laughs> and has many has had many of them published. I cannot believe this made it to the page. I am fucking shook. Yeah. You imagine early versions of this, early drafts of this novel, readers going, mm-hmm. That's great. <laughs> what a good line from Paulus Atreides. Oh, God. Great character. Love it. Damn. So they have a problem. This giant, bald kid <laughs> has nothing to do. Right. Well, you know what, kid? Welcome to the house. Welcome to House Atreides. We need you to take care of our Seleucid bulls. Right. Bulls from Seleucid Secundus, I guess. Uh, you know, easy peasy. Uh, plot foreshadow easy. We in Dune saw the head of the bull that like skewered Paulus Atreides in primary canon. So obviously as a prequel, this is, we know where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. But the next morning, we're still on Kaladin. Leto's mom, Elena Atreides, <laughs> is kind of being a jerk. A huge jerk. Oh my God. She's being prejudicial. Towards these Ixian kids, and in this little section, Leto and Romber are also about to get a new teacher, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. Helena is worried that God is punished. Uh, which God? Choose one. Doesn't matter. Who knows? Yep. Who knows? God is punishing Ix, Planet Ix, and House Vernius, uh, specifically Romber and Kaylee Vernius, who are currently under Paulus's protection. And he, meanwhile, is just judging their form. He's watching Romber and, and Leto spar. And we get this quote. Quote, the boys have more energy than prowess. They need to work on finesse. I'll have Thufur Hawat train them. End quote. So, yeah, that makes sense. A lot of not listening to your wives happening in this issue. <laughs> or not paying attention to your wives. <laughs> there is a broader theme of this clearly being written by a man. Uh that we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah. But yes. Also, Helena is worried throughout all of this about her baby boy, Leto Atreides, and Kaylee. Yeah. They have visible in daylight sparks flying between mm, them. Electric. Electric. They both swiped right, folks. Indeed. The chemistry is so thick, it's basically PDA. <laughs> it's, it's Yeah. And Paulus is like, what? No, they're not. Really? I hadn't noticed. 
<laughs> this is quite on brand for dads, though. That's true. So this tracks. I think Brian Herbert may have known his father. <laughs> so Helena brings it up. He dismisses it, basically, and says, you know, and this is also, I think this is accurate, quote, she is the daughter of Earl Dominic Vernius, and she seems quite pleasant, end quote. We agree. Yeah, she seems great. And Dominic Vernius was amazing. Love him. Great <laughs> mustache. So, listen, he's making good points. Right. We also learn in this argument between Helena and Paulus that Helena is actually from House Richie's. Yeah, turns out that's a house. And is basically super biased towards Ix because of that. Right. Because of the history that Richie's and Ix share going all the way back to the Butlerian Jihad in Dune Cannon. As a really quick aside, and we'll get back to positive vibes, House Richie's does kind of explain Helena's, you know, religious beliefs and that she's anti-Ix, you know? I actually kind of draw issue, and this is very nitpicky, so I'll try to keep it brief. I draw issue with uh, their house being named after the planet, or, or vice versa, whichever happened first. This doesn't really happen in Dune. Uh, I can't... I, I tried to look into it, couldn't find an example. There may be one or two examples of places where it's like House Atreides on planet Atreides. But that's just not what happens for most of the big houses, right? House Atreides on Kaladin, House Harkonnen on Giddy Prime, House Carino on Seleucus Secundus and, uh, and, uh, and, and Chiton. The planets have their own names and then these houses sort of move around. It's got to be easy to just come up with a house name, right? Like, <laughs> right. just... Anything. Throw a random vowel generator together and there you have it. I don't know. I Again, this just kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it does seem in the same way that those Fremen practices were so misrepresentative of Fremen culture. I feel like this flies in the face of imperial nomenclature. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense to me. Anyway. And also, to be clear, you don't even have to come up with a house name because in the Dune Encyclopedia, which I just pulled up. Yeah. There are like 50 listed. Yeah, pick one. Just pick one. It's easy. Already there. <laughs> Someone did the work for you, and it's not to be rude, better. So, I don't know. Right, right. So, this scene continues. The boys are sparring, and Thufir Hawat, House of Trades Mentat and Master of Assassins, arrives honestly looking good. Yeah, looking great. He's got the drip in this scene. No kidding. Yeah. And he is here and ready to train these soft, squishy, weak boys into fighting men. He's not here to fuck around. Right. And Thufir jumps right in. Yeah. With a first lesson <laughs> for these young boys. Listen, this guy clearly went to the same, like, strategist school as Edna from Incredibles. You know, the, no capes. <laughs> no capes. Get rid of them. Lesson number one. No capes. You're going to get pulled into a plane or something. It's terrible. Exactly. <laughs> Although he does amend this first lesson after he totally bodies Leto. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> he amends it by saying that capes can be useful if used correctly. Right. To hide things like poisonous darts or knives or other <laughs> sneaky, devious things within them. So cape, capes have a place and a use. By the way, exactly what a teenage boy wants to be told. <laughs> you can have a cape, but only if you fill it with poisonous darts. <laughs> <sighs> okay, Thufir. <laughs> and actually, the boys here are pretty shocked. Right. 
because they they respond with like hey isn't that kind of devious and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, i don't know that doesn't seem honorable doesn't seem like an honorable way to fight and Thufir jumps right into lesson two baby he says quote is your intention to show off for the ladies which at this point late to a trade in his head is like uh yes yeah kaylee's right there she's watching yeah you. yes uh-huh. <laughs> how do i show off what do i do how how do i do it but Thufir continues intention to show off for the ladies or eliminate your opponent this is not a game end quote solid so he kind of brings reality down on these two young idealist boys and tells them hey a fight to the death is a fight to the death right doesn't matter how you win the goal is to survive good lesson yeah now this scene ends with a final panel of thufir again looking real scary and murderous yeah those eyebrows are (laughs) out to kill folks very lynchian yeah (laughs) very lynchian and he tells them quote fight as if your lives depend on it end quote and their training begins. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Good to see young Thufir out here doing some work. <laughs> y- y- young is in quotation marks there. <laughs> Younger. Younger. <laughs> more in his prime. Yeah, indeed. It, it also, we're always told that he's the house master of assassins. You know, he's Mintat and master of assassins. Right. We don't really get the fighting Thufir as much in Dune. So it is cool. It's cool. I like this element of his character makes him more complex yeah the next section passes so quickly it's okay we get five panels Gaius Helen Moheim is back at Wallach 9 and she says during these five panels I am pregnant mm-hmm. and that's it oh okay <laughs> it is <laughs> such a waste of time of ink <laughs> of ink and I genuinely after reading that, went, what? Okay. <laughs> and felt bad it, pretty much immediately for uh, Dev, Dev Promenik, who had to illustrate these panels. Because it's they're just nothing. They're nothing panels. And we talked a lot about in the first couple of episodes of us reading House Atreides, pacing issues. Yeah. At this point, it's hyperbole. Like, the idea of... We're going to give you five panels for one sentence. Could have been an email. Was a single sentence. Just include that as a thought next time we see her. It's, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. What an inefficient use of ink. Yeah. I don't know. Fine. Moving on. Back to positive vibes. Back to Galadin in the next scene. (laughs) Yeah. This is the final scene of issue number seven. Indeed. In this final scene of issue number seven, we are back on Kaladin. With Paul and Romber. Yeah. And Paul basically tells Romber, hey, you showed me around Ix. Now it's my turn. I want to show you around (laughs) Kaladin, my home planet. Hopefully we don't get fucking attacked on this one. And (laughs) I just thought of like, unfortunately, the Oceanoids are rebelling against (laughs) the evil. (laughs) It's so bad. Oh, no, not the Oceanoids. And before they head out to explore Kaladin, from a window, completely unprompted. (laughs) They've got a heckler, yeah. The grown woman and duchess (laughs) of this planet just yells out at Romber, go somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah. 
bro, get out of my yard. You go away. <laughs> this is so wild. Paulus is like, Helena. Yeah, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Helena, get back over here. <laughs> we were talking. Why are you screaming at children from the window? <laughs> it's so weird. Anyway, again, we're really re- hitting this point home that Helena does not like these Ixian children on her planet. We get it. It's subtle. But if you read carefully between the lines, you might notice that she doesn't like them. Yeah, yeah. Hard to pick up on. That's why we're making this podcast to really dig right. into those deep cut <laughs> details she might be missing. This scene continues. Paulus pulls his wife back from the window. Yeah. <laughs> and what are you doing? She she turns to him and says, quote, This is your doing, Paulus. You will be the one to face the consequences. And quote Begin heavy-handed foreshadowing. Murderous vibes from the heckler in the window. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I think we can all guess where this is heading. Right. Now, Robert, a little shaken up from this heckling, <laughs> right. is in need of a day out at sea. Yeah. Fresh air, that salt breeze. Mm, lovely. Love it. Yeah. Classic Caledon. So Leto takes him out on a small sailing ship, and they head out into the waters. Right. Now, the plan for them on this lazy day out at sea is to sail out to some reefs and go diving for these Caledonian coral gems. Yeah, sounds great. Which sounds like a lot of fun. Sure. Until Leto drops a little bit of a fun fact about them. Uh-huh. It turns out sure. that these Caledonian coral gems uh-huh. will burst into flame if they touch oxygen. Oh. <laughs> so if, if they are taken out of the water and are exposed to the open air, they will burst into flame. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently they're really pretty. So yeah. They're so pretty. Trust me on this. They're so pretty. This is going to be great. Right. Just don't let them touch air. And it's fine. It's fine. Good. I'm sure nothing could possibly go wrong. So the two boys go diving. Right. And we do get another series of really, really gorgeous panels here as they're swimming underwater. Yeah. And they collect these coral gems. So again, props to the artists. I loved these couple of panels of them diving into the sea. They bring these gems back up to the surface, to the boat, and Leto, once again, completely unprompted, brings up the fact that they will burst into flame now that they're sort of up here. So what they do is they get a bucket with water and they put the gems in the bucket. Easy peasy. We have solved this issue of things bursting into flames. I'm sure nothing will go wrong. Just a very spillable bucket of water just a, <laughs> so look at that spillable bucket and i say that because leto's like yo we got a bunch of those pearls hell yeah come eat lunch and romper's like i gets up and knocks over the bucket <laughs> doesn't notice somehow doesn't notice a bucket full of water sloshing onto the deck of their boat right full of beautiful gorgeous pretty Fireball gems that will burst into flames <laughs> if they get dry. Now, the gems they spent all that time collecting burst into fire. Yep. And immediately the whole ship is basically ablaze. Right. I don't know what they build boats out of on Caledon, but clearly actual firewood. Extremely flammable. Yeah. Very yeah. flammable. They're actually made <laughs> of those gems. It's really... It's a, it's just, <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's wrap up this scene. Enough dragging our feet with our petty sarcasm. <laughs> True. Okay. Positive vibes. Okay. <sighs> let's wrap this up. Uh-huh. 
Leto decides he needs to run right into the reef because they can't put out this fire. They need to get off the boat and onto some sort of land. Right. And uh, they jump out of this flaming boat into the water. And this issue then ends with them floating in the water, looking back at this boat and joking around that, wow, that was a close call. Not as close as Ix, but that what an adrenaline rush, buddy. Hopefully someone will come find us now that we sent out that SOS. End scene. Right. Yeah, because Rumber Rumber sent out an SOS. Yeah, that's it's just such like why why can't you just swim away? It doesn't matter. <laughs> if, the reefs were so close. You were just there for the pearls. It doesn't matter. Let's talk about issue eight. <laughs> yeah, but folks, issue seven really left us feeling neural scrambled. No kidding. So <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna take a quick break. Uh, hang out. Don't spill the bucket of pearls. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, welcome back. Let's jump into issue number eight, which is just an absolute whirlwind. So let's waste no time jumping right in. Yeah. The first pages of issue eight open up with Duncan Idaho on the planet Kaladin. He is working in the Atreidean stables with those Seleucid bulls. And look, folks, he's enjoying himself. Yeah. He's making friends with the bulls. Yeah. And he is honestly loving every second of this menial labor. Right. This kid's balls are huge. <laughs> now, <laughs> they're huge. <laughs> now, Duncan's suspiciously mean boss, this bald man with a big droopy mustache, scolds him. Right. Telling him that these bulls should be riled up because they're entertainment for the stadium, for those bullfights that are coming up. Yeah. Now, Duncan is a bit worried, and he expresses this to his mean <laughs> boss. Right. He, after spending like 48 hours with Seleucid bulls, is now an expert and believes that they're being drugged to make them overly aggressive and overly agitated. Right. And that worries him. <laughs> Naturally. Kids from Giddy Prime. Right. He's eight years old. You're eight, dude. He's like, these bulls, man, I haven't seen bulls this <laughs> riled up before. And I'm like, have you seen these before? <laughs> when? You were in prison 36 hours ago. <laughs> yeah. And Duncan's boss here, rather than, you know, blowing this off or just being like, don't worry about it, kid. You don't know what you're talking about. Rather suspiciously questions... Duncan's sort of like one in a million shot in the dark theory that the bulls are being drugged. <laughs> right, right. It's gotta be. And flips out on Duncan. He says, quote, I bet you're another Harkonnen troublemaker. 
end quote. So subtle. <laughs> Super subtle stuff. Yeah. So subtle. Bald dude with a mustache accusing Duncan of being a Harkonnen. I wonder. <laughs> now, one thing I do want to call out about this scene is that the panels are quite gorgeous. Yeah. There's this opening panel that is almost a full page that shows this Seleucid bull looming over Duncan, Idaho. It's gorgeous. There's bright red colors, and you see the red eyes of the Seleucid bulls. Yeah. And it looks fierce. It looks great. And then, of course, the scene ends with this final panel, this somewhat of a transition, where we are from the bull's perspective watching as Duncan tries to talk to his definitely not a Harkonnen spy <laughs> manager. Right. And it's just really good line work with the black and white that sort of yeah. fades off the edges of the frame and transitions us to the next scene. Absolutely agree. So shouts to the artists. A gorgeous scene here, and the bulls definitely got their due. Totally. Next up, we're on Wallach 9. Love it. Benny Gesserit's school. Right. We're here, so we have to be following Gaius Helen Moheim. Now, she is among a bunch of cribs. This is the panel. She's looking down angrily at her now year-old daughter, the, the one that she had first. She is pregnant. And she is still very angry and disappointed in this child. Because, again, remember, in a past issue, after giving birth to this child, all of the Reverend Mothers were basically like, this baby is not well. It's got health problems. It's not strong. It's not. Its power level is too low. Was the was the joke from that episode? Uh, she is reflecting on all of this uh, before she and I. I again, I'm just resentful that I even have to say this. She kills the baby. Jesus, it's fucking awful. <sighs> and I legitimately, I had to check Brian's book to verify this because it seems too fucked up like it seems too crazy disgusting awful right and i was like no clearly i just didn't understand the panels like clearly i didn't get what the panels were supposed to tell me no this is what happened apparently in the book in brian's book the baby has like misshapen bones and a bunch of health problems i didn't see that it was necessarily like terminal health problems and maybe this was like I didn't see that, but it's just, it's awful. And of course, it doesn't seem like anybody told the illustrator. Yeah. Because the prior panel, you know, we get these, her among the cribs, we get this shot of the baby, and it's just the cutest- Oh my gosh. Beautiful little baby. Cute as a button. It's cute as a button. Yeah. Uh. A cute button, too. Not even an average button. It's cute as a cute button. And it's just so awful. And I don't understand. Also because it's not like the Benny Gesserit school doesn't have a bunch of shit that needs doing. Right. To throw away, even if someone has health problems, it's like, no, they're not. You're making the Benny Gesserit school sound like, I don't know. It's just cheapening the Benny Gesserit sisterhood. Yeah. To this, like, kill anything that's not useful or can be. It just doesn't make sense. So... All I'll say as we move on is, if you want to know more about Gaius Helen Moheim, we dedicated an episode to her. Yep. And it's just, this sort of unjustified cruelty is not who she is. Not her MO. She is so much more nuanced. Not her at 
all. And uh, and then in the next few panels, uh, apparently that murder put her in the mood to give birth because right after that, she gives birth to baby Jessica. Jesus. And thank God we can move on. Cool. Yeah. Ugh. What an awful scene in there purely for shock value. Seems like it. Yeah. Awful. Alrighty, the next scene, we are back on Kaladin, and it's festival day, folks. Yeah. We're in the Plaza de Toros, and Paul Atreides is here honoring the children of Earl Dominic Vernius with a bullfight. Cool. As he does. Yeah. He's famous for these bullfights. His favorite. Nothing out of the ordinary. <laughs> I'm sure it will go splendidly. So fun. Yeah. Now, Duncan is still worried about the bulls. Yeah. I assume it's been a few days. He's still stressing about them. Within those couple of days, he's become even more of an expert on bulls. Yeah. And now he's really worried. <laughs> he spent three days, knows three times as much. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's cramming those 10,000 hours into just a couple of days. It's a miracle. He's a miracle worker. He's Duncan motherfucking Idaho. <laughs> Have you seen him climb a rock? Right. Yeah. Greatest fighter in the known universe. Also grade A bull expert. <laughs> Now, Duncan Idaho once again goes to Mr. Mustache, right. his totally not shady boss, right. and voices these concerns. Hey, the bulls are acting up. They're way too hyped. This is dangerous territory. I've never seen them like this. And Mr. Mustache, to his credit, calls Duncan out here on the very thing that we are joking about yeah, and tells him, yo, you've been with the bulls for like four days, dude. Right. You have no expertise on this. Stop telling me what to do with my bulls. And then he throws Duncan into some sort of like maybe a, uh, an animal pen or something. This panel is kind of hard to decipher. Yeah. He tosses him into something, like a side room or a pen or a gated area, to basically get him out of the way. Yeah. We kind of get this panel of Duncan sprawled out on the ground and then the clang sound effect without a single shot of the structure. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a pen or something. A little hut. Right. Now, despite Duncan's very legitimate worries about these Seleucid bulls, the show must go on. And in the next couple of panels, we join Thufir Hawat and Helena in the stands of the stadium. Yeah. Now, Thufir assures Helena Atreides that Paulus is completely safe. Yeah. Quote, my men are stationed at strategic points in case something goes wrong. End quote. <laughs> yeah. All right. He's doing his job. He's protecting the Atreides. Sounds like he has a plan. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, he's going to eat those words because shit almost immediately starts going wrong as soon as the bull is brought into the stadium because this fight is unlike the others. Yeah. Paulus faces off against this completely enraged bull. And again, credit to the artists here. Some really gorgeous panels where we get a sense of how terrifying this bull is and how, frankly, frightening it must be to face off against it in the stadium here. Right. And what quickly becomes apparent to Paulus during this standoff with the bull is that the nerve toxins that are usually on his spears that he impales these bulls with aren't working. Right. This bull is not slowing down, no matter how many spears are thrown at it. And in this rush of panels, there's a blur. We see close-ups of the spectators. We see... Paulus barely dodging and surviving with his life, but unfortunately, it ends with him lunging for his sword. Not quick enough, the bull impales him 
and one of the monster's horns rips right through his chest in just a brutal and gorgeous panel. Yeah. And thus, we get the iconic death of Paulus Atreides. It almost feels like Brian forgot about the whole, my men are stationed at strategic points in case something goes wrong line. (laughs) Because something is actively going wrong for the whole fight, and nothing happens. Right. It, because plot has to happen because we have to move forward and there's no yeah no no the smartest most capable mentat in the universe was distracted he was on his phone he was playing a candy crush on his phone <laughs> those ixian smartphones that's really that's why they're banned yeah dude those addicting mobile games man. <sighs> they're so much fun and then you get the premium currency it's great <laughs> anyway Thufir decides you know what late is better than never let's kill this bull <laughs> so he has everybody shoot the ball. He's like, shoot the ball. Everyone shoots the ball. Uh, probably lace guns. They don't, it's a little hard to tell, but really seems like this could have happened when, I don't know, the bull was running down Paulus and about to uh, impale him. Right. Could have been a good time to shoot the bull, but they're like, eh, might as well now. Yeah. So they shoot the bull. Bull's dead. And we see this reaction from Romber and Kaylee and, of course, Leto himself. Just horrified because you're right. Beautiful panel. All of this art is really, really lovely, but also really bloody. Like there's some real gore. Yeah. And it's it was almost uncomfortable to look at because I really like Paulus. Yeah. Yeah. And it does seem sort of like celebrating his death in some way. Yeah. Romber, Kaylee and Leto are horrified and almost as horrified as I was looking at the scene. And Helena is like. Yeah, Leto, you're uh, you're Duke now. You like you're Duke of the whole planet. <laughs> you know, like a murderer. <laughs> She's subtle, so subtle. You might not have noticed. It was probably her, <laughs> her and mustache guy. Oh man, Ugh. right. That's the scene. We've gotten there. Leto Atreides is now Duke of Planet Caladan. <sighs> Alrighty, in the next scene. Yeah. We are back with Armani beard model Pardo Kynes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and his BFF, the Nabe who ordered him killed like three weeks ago. Nabe Haynar. <laughs> yeah. Listen, time passes. It's great. <laughs> Don't ask us how much time, though. Uh, no idea. <laughs> Zero <laughs> clue. They are just friends now. That is how much time. Right. So Pardo Kynes and Nabe Haynar are sitting together, sharing a meal, and basically discussing plans for Project Green Arrakis. And the current ETA, we learn, is about 300-ish years, give or take. Yeah. Using the about 1 million Fremen that Nabe Hanar says currently exist on Arrakis. Right. Some back-of-the-napkin math here from Pardo Kynes. 300-ish years, we should be able to change Arrakis forever. Yeah. We also learn that Pardo and Fraith, remember her, our girl? Uh-huh. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> They're expecting their first child. Hey, muzzle top. And she seems to be pretty well along. So I guess here's an estimate of time. She's, we're anywhere between zero and nine months from the last time we saw them. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right. And here in this scene, we get, uh, I guess uh, you could call this excitement. I don't really know what to call this, but Pardo thinks to himself, wow, this is great. I'm going to be a father. This will, quote, serve my long-term planning. End quote. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, almost the thought that a dad might have. Almost. Yeah. Close. We're getting closer. 
but he's still so obsessively focused on his work. Again, it's so weird. This Pardo Fraith relationship is like totally botched in this story. Yeah. Yeah. So then the scene transitions and in the next panel, some amount of time has passed. Don't ask us how much. It could be a minute. It could be many weeks. <laughs> yeah. But it's time to go. Sure. Young Stilgar is going to take Kynes to the southern polar regions, which, as we know from the Dune books, is a 20-thumper journey. Right. Which is exactly what Stilgar tells Kynes here. Now, this next exchange is so... This is ridiculous. But Kynes is like, hey, how are we going to possibly get that far south? Right? How, how do we travel that far in the desert? Yeah. He's learning just now, <laughs> after having spent time with the Fremen, married a Fremen woman is about to be a father, was offered the title of Nabe. Right, right. Now he is just learning yeah. that, wait a second, the Fremen ride worms, yo. I This guy is slick. I'll give him that. <laughs> He's great. Day one, making friends. Yeah, right. I cannot picture a world, despite his slickness, I cannot picture a world in which he hasn't been with the Fremen for like a year maybe a year and a half. Right. Living among them. Day one, he said, I'd like to see everything. Exactly. Direct quote. And the Fremen were like, might as well. We're going to kill him soon anyway. Show him everything. Right. My guy has been around since day one. And you're telling me that a year and a half in, he's like, what? Worms? <laughs> Jessica and Paul saw that. Not even a full... They didn't even get to Siege Tabur before they saw that. This is right. literally unbelievable. Before Stilgar all but confirmed it to Jessica. <laughs> this is... I cannot believe this, but... It's wild. Whatever. Again, it just seems like... Right. Time means nothing. Nothing matters. Time is meaningless in this story. So, Oman, one of the younger Fremen who advocated for Kynes back in the day is going to go through his worm rider ceremony. He is going to become a sand rider today and graduate to full-on Fremen. <laughs> and he does that in the next couple of panels. And these are, I would say, of the two issues we've read today, yeah. the most gorgeous panels thus far. Yes, 100%. Yeah, Stunning stuff. The worm looks incredible. The desert, the climb onto the back of the worm. Yeah. It's all really, really beautifully illustrated. I do want to point out that the worm is jumping in the panel. Leaping. Like a whale. Like a whale does. That it does seem like, it does seem like no one told the illustrator very much about Dune. Because you're right. Some of the most beautiful art I've seen recently, even just recently, not even just in this book. It's beautiful. It's really, really gorgeous. But they are silhouetted on the back of this worm. You know, the sky is a light. It's beautiful. Flames, reds, oranges. Lovely. Yeah. And the worm is arching across the panel, leaping, throwing itself through the air. I don't know how or why, <laughs> but that's what it is. They only can control worms because they lift the ring segments and then the worms move the lifted ring segment away from the sand. If worms can fucking jump, this adds a whole new dimension <laughs> to worm riding. This is baffling. Uh, but again, almost didn't notice because the art is so, so beautiful. Right. Almost as beautiful as those fucking pearls that burst into flame. Oh my gosh. Almost as beautiful. Have you heard how beautiful they are, though? 
gorgeous. They are so almost worth it. Almost I'm going to get it. one for Kaylee, I think. Hey, that's a good idea. <laughs> Maybe she'll burst into flame like that boat. <laughs> <laughs> now, once everyone is on this worm, Pardo is like, there's a funny panel of him just like wide-eyed, like, yo, which appropriate response for your first time riding a worm. Totally get it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And Pardo says, it will take us many days. 20 thumpers is a long way to go. Joke's on all of them, though, because time is meaningless in this story. Boom. Flip the page. Next panel. Next panel. We're in the deep south, folks. Embarrassing. We have arrived. Idiots. No idea how comics work. Cool. (laughs) So they arrive in the south polar region, and we learn that there's ice in these caverns, in these Fremen caverns, and they have palm trees and cacti in this space. And Pardo, once again, loses his mind. He's so excited to see this. This is proof that his plan can move along nicely. Yeah. He's happy that the Fremen are doing what he hoped to achieve on Arrakis. They are well on their way to turning Arrakis into a green lush planet. And it's clear to Pardo, especially here, that the Fremen are the people that can help him achieve it. Mm-hmm. A few moments later, a messenger arrives right behind them. I don't know why he just didn't take the worm <laughs> they were on. Did he take a separate worm? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) A few moments later, in the next panel, a messenger arrives for Pardo to relay an extremely important message. Yeah. His wife, Fraith, has given birth to a healthy baby boy. Hey. What's his name? (laughs) And as we know as readers and fans of Dune, we know this is Liet Kynes. Hell yeah. The Liet Kynes. Love him. And for once... We get a little bit of emotion from Pardo here. He seems quite happy about this. Like, not, yeah, not like super overjoyed. He's not like, no, no. doing backflips or anything. That's not his style. It would mess up his, his do. Right. (laughs) But he seems genuinely happy to be a father and to know that his son has been born. Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) Pleasant stuff. Maybe he's genuinely, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he's just excited for a green arrakis. It's, yeah. Seems like that's the entire content of his character you know now that you point that out he does also think now the fremen number one million and one right so he's like oh it'll only take 299 years now (laughs) if i put my child to work at age four he's like yes that's five minutes faster (laughs) yeah so you know maybe his excitement is less about being a father and his child and more about how quickly this dream can come about great point he's just crunching some numbers (laughs) god the next panel, we are on Bella Tegus. Yeah. Love it. One of the uh, more obscure planets in Dune. Yeah. And we're here with Shando. Yes. Shando. <laughs> Shando Furnius. And lovely. Uh, yeah, Bella Tegus is one of the first planets that the Zensuni Wanderers, a.k.a. eventually the Fremen, were sent to after Portran. Yeah. So this is... A cool place. This is a. I like. I like that this planet is making an appearance here, and it looks great. Right. Really, really uh, beautiful. Yeah. The panel is gorgeous. The art, beautiful. Fields of flowers. Ah. Uh, right. Looks great. Definitely looks great. I love the interpretation of Bella Tagus on the page here. So beautiful. Now we learn on the planet, Lady Shando has been here undercover. Right. Running a small farm with the help of some loyal Ixian retainers that have come with her. Right. Everyone here is sworn to secrecy. Everyone's undercover, right? Right. We've all established this. Yeah. We've talked about it. 
sent the memo out. Everyone knows this. We also learn that all records of her have been erased. So a lot of record erasing happening in these issues as well. Nobody should know who she is or where she is now. She has completely taken on a new identity and is laying low here on Bella Tigus. Right. To be clear, she is thinking this. She is not claiming this for someone. She is thinking in the way that comics give us reality. Right. That all of her records were erased and that nobody knows where she is. There is no record of her being on this planet. She is nobody. Exactly. That immediately turns out to be false because, (laughs) (laughs) surprise, yeah, Imperial forces arrive and have found her and are like, Lady Shando, you're part of an exiled house. Right. So clearly, not all the records were erased thoroughly enough. You always got to double check your browsing history and make sure it properly erased (laughs) so mom and dad don't catch you. They're always snooping. (laughs) Does seem like Brian just forgot that sentence again does kind of feel like that but whatever we do get some kind of almost comical writing here yeah because she's been here long enough to have a farm right with retainers right who are loyal and know that she's living undercover as we've talked about right the memo has been sent out to everyone they all got it they have read receipts on (laughs) she knows they saw it ship is landing guy runs up Ships have landed. Imperial ships, my lady. (laughs) Direct quote. Direct quote. Shando's like, shut up. (laughs) Don't Don't call call, me. Don't call me lady. Don't call me my lady. Like, what the fuck, bro? (laughs) You saw the memo. Seems like a simple request. And again, one that probably should have been put to rest months ago. I don't know when they got to this planet. Moments later, the Emperor's men show up and they're like, yo, you're Lady Shando. And she's like, no, don't know who you're talking about. That's not me. Right. And then a guy. <laughs> I imagine it's the same fucking guy. <laughs> could be the same guy. Could be someone else. Hard to tell. Lunges in going, my lady, leave her alone. No. Direct quote. He is immediately killed. Yeah. Now, she has a couple of seconds. She's got a few seconds here to contemplate just how fucking awful her people are <laughs> at keeping a secret. She's like, don't tell, don't tell anybody, but I, I have a crush on Dominic. Immediately, they're like, Dominic! <laughs> just, they're bad at keeping secrets. She is killed in this moment. She is killed. Lady Shando, rest in peace. The troops who came to deal out justice, I guess, and found her, despite the fact that we're led to believe this is impossible— kill her and this begs the question fucking why <laughs> did, did she wait really... are you talking about this comic series as a whole or this, <laughs> yeah. this scene in particular the the, the prequel actually the whole book <laughs> going back to the 90s it's genuinely confusing yeah why lady shando needed to die she is presumably capable she's intelligent she has a good head on her shoulders narrative wise The story is not made better by her being killed. Nope. The bad guys look more bad. The evil guys look more evil. But it really does seem like that's it. Yeah. All it is is bad guys need to be bad. And the thing that that has always rubbed me the wrong way about some of these books, and specifically Brian Herbert's books, but now these issues, and maybe you all will understand this uh, if you didn't already, 
not everybody has to die. <laughs> you don't have to kill right. every fucking good person just because you want to have a dramatic bat. Like, it's so unnecessary. The other side of this, and I've kind of teased at this broader theme for a bit, but Shando is a wonderful character, seems lovely, seems totally capable. On page, everything she's done is following men around. Yeah. And just, oh, she was with that guy. Then this guy stole her from that guy as property. And then she just was with him for a while. And then he's like, you have to go off. And then she does. And then she's murdered. Right. None of it gives her agency or character or any like sense of what she wants. None of it. Yeah. Even calling her character one-dimensional is giving it too much credit. It's less, it's zero dimension. She's a prop. Yeah, exactly. And it's rude. Could you tell this was written by a guy? Yeah. (laughs) Awful stuff. Awful stuff. (sighs) Okay, so that wraps up issue number eight. And (laughs) that wraps up our positive vibes only (laughs) coverage of issue seven and eight. Oh, God. (laughs) See, okay, this is what happened to Boo. Uh Uh-huh. My positive vibes... They can't be exposed to air. (laughs) (laughs) Or they burst into negative vibes. They burst into (laughs) negative vibes. And you know what? I just, I realized I fucked up my whole booth full of air. So listen, that's on me. Yeah. Too much air in my my room as well. Yeah. Oh, shit. See, we fucked up. Can't expose positive vibes (laughs) to air. Okay. Let's wrap up today's episode. Just with some general thoughts, I think we have shared plenty of our feelings throughout this conversation. It should be fairly obvious to our listeners how we feel about this series thus far. But any final overall impressions of these two issues in particular, but also of the eight issues we have covered thus far? What do you think, Leo? How's this journey been for you? Uh, More immediately, I I will say I liked Seven a lot more than Issue Eight, Uh, which is to say, to be clear, I didn't like issue seven <laughs> and I fucking hated issue eight beyond like, you know, the literal empty panels that didn't do anything but fill pages, right? which just feels like you're disrespecting the illustrator and not giving them stuff to work with. There's technology that cannot exist without breaking core themes of Dune, bad people doing bad things. And then this, this habit, which I feel like is something that Brian and Kevin J. Anderson just enjoy doing, which is just fucking killing people for no reason. I always try to expect a certain level of, like, implicit justification. Like, why does this thing happen? We have to move forward. I mean, this is a narrative work of art. We need to get from point A to point B. But I do kind of hope that it makes sense intrinsically. And some of these deaths simply don't. Now, I do think about, like, in Dune, we have very early on, and again, spoilers for Dune, uh, Duke Leto, Dr. Yui, and Esmartuik all die within the, like, seven pages of each other. There is a fair amount of death in Dune. But every one of those men had desires, they had goals, they had things they wanted to accomplish, and when they died, characters who remembered them, things that power structures in place felt the ripples of those deaths those deaths had ramifications within the broader kind of narrative of Dune, right? Yeah. None of this feels like it could have any ramifications. Like, what's going to happen? Dominic's going to find out that Shando was killed and then attack Elrude? We know Elrude dies to poison. 
I, it, there's so little, I can't fully judge it to, to take a step back from my <laughs> incredulous rage. <laughs> I can't fully judge it because we're not yet at the end. And listen, mama didn't raise a quitter. We're getting through this. <laughs> we are getting through this together. Yeah. But I really just anticipate either being more and more justified in my anger. Right. Or it, I guess it's possible I'll have to apologize for, for not trusting the uh, the brilliant direction of, of uh, Brian's writings. <sighs> but that's uh, that's me. <laughs> that's my thought. Uh, generally, I would have stopped if we didn't have this podcast, but... I am committed and and now out of a morbid curiosity, I'm, I want to see where it goes because if nothing else, it is fun to get upset about something that makes no has no significance in the greater world. So <laughs> what about you? Positive vibes? Listen, <laughs> favorite book. I'm going to say right now, I think this is your favorite comic series that you've ever read. Absolutely. Yeah. Knew it. Called it. That's all I have to say about that. Positive vibes cool. only. All right. Guys, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll, I'll keep it short because I agree with almost everything you've said. Sure. And the unbridled rage that you feel, I also feel while reading this story. So we've harped on it quite a bit this episode, and we've talked about many of its shortcomings in previous episodes. I think I have given this series enough benefit of the doubt. Right. I I personally have spent eight issues trying to suspend my disbelief, trying to overlook some of the small things, trying to put myself in the creator's shoes, in Brian and Kevin J. Anderson's shoes. It is tough, like I said earlier, to write a prequel. It's tough to step in and try to fill a lot of shoe metaphors here, try to fill the shoes <laughs> of yeah. a legend like Frank Herbert. I understand all of that. I try to be sympathetic to all of that. Right. I have done my best to give this series and this story the benefit of the doubt and overlook what I can. Right. Eight issues in, I'm at my wit's end. That's it. Fuck this series is all I have to say. <laughs> it has been an absolutely horrible journey, the story itself. <laughs> and the only redeeming fact is I get to geek out with you about it and share right. my rage with someone. <laughs> and th that has honestly been therapeutic these podcast episodes have helped me offload some of that rage <laughs> as i read this series so mm -hmm. i am not even willing to wait until the final issue and until we've completed it to pass judgment on this book this comic it sucks <laughs> uh, everything about it is like shitting on a universe i love so much and uh like you i am now only going to continue because we have committed to it on this show. Yeah. Because I truly do enjoy talking about it with you yeah. and joking around about <laughs> it and raging about it. Uh -huh. And like you, out of a morbid curiosity to see just how deep this shitty, shitty rabbit hole can go. <laughs> <laughs> I I like this character arc of Abu. Like the beginning of you reading it, you're like trying to be polite. You're trying. And now we still have four issues left. Uh, There's I know. two more episodes of this. <laughs> you are right now at like, fuck this series. This is trash. Dog water. <laughs> this sucks. This is a this is a big L, as the kids say, maybe. We got four more issues. I'm so excited <laughs> for <laughs> late game of boot. Like just to see how you <laughs> Yeah. Th this is my Anakin Skywalker turn to the dark yeah. side <laughs> moment, you know? Like you're watching it happen in real time. Oh god. <laughs> 
Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path. And this is thanks again to artist Evan Coggle. Kegel? I think it's Kegel. Kegel? Okay. Aren't Kegels like a exercise for the groin? For your, for your penis? Yeah. For, for, for that, that muscle? Uh, hmm, now that you say that. Yeah. Ke- Kegels. Kegels? Maybe. maybe. Kegels. Ke- I think it's Kegels. Okay, so Kegels is safe. Okay. Pe- penis exercise. Okay. <laughs> somebody help how us. do we fuck up pronouncing actual humans <laughs> like i know dune names are hard but okay